So. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, wait. This is not uncomfortable, but it's very weird. This is the thing? This is the one. Absolutely. And now it almost couldn't have happened in a better way. Where did you want to be? So it was just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> am I funny? Now if I go over here, am I still funny? Better strategy. Yeah, a way better strategy. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's a work. I don't see a five years from now that you're not my most famous friend. You really have to commit to something. Good to have some appreciation. That's that cool. That was really cool. Yeah, it might have been cool. This is On The Cusp. Hello, I'm Ben Green and welcome to On The Cusp. This week, my guest is Mary Holland. She's an actor on the UCB mod team, New Money, an improviser on the UCB house improv team, JV, and she's part of the cast of the soon-to-be-released television series, Blunt Talk. A quick request to people who have been listening to On the Cusp for a little while now, I'd be very thankful if you would consider rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. The more ratings and reviews we get, the better chance we have of being organically discovered by new listeners, and the more listeners we have, the better I sleep at night. So, thank you for thinking about doing that. This episode is sponsored by Ty Pepper at 6219 Franklin Avenue. Now, I'm recording this promo a week before I leave for my bachelor party in Las Vegas. And one interesting thing about Vegas is that when you're gambling, you have to pay a $4 usage fee just to use the ATM and get more money. Well, let me tell you something. At Ty Pepper, $4 buys you a whole lot more than the opportunity to get more gambling money. You could get a plate of fried wontons, or Thai egg rolls, or two plates of chicken fried rice. All of those things cost less than $4 at Thai Pepper. So what's it gonna be? Lose all your money in Vegas, or head over to Thai Pepper for a surefire win? I know what I would do. I'd go to Thai Pepper. You won't get rich quick, but you'll get happy quick. It's Thai Pepper. So my guest today is Mary Holland, and anybody who's spent any time with Mary knows that she is unbelievably funny and endlessly positive. She just gives off this incredible energy which people want to be around. And everyone who knows her thinks that she's going to be really huge someday. It was still pretty recently that Mary had her first big break getting cast on the show Blunt Talk, uh, a new Stars Network series, uh, which comes out this fall. Um, and one thing that Mary talks about early on in this interview is the fact that when she was waiting to hear whether she would be cast or wouldn't be cast on Blunt Talk, she ended up buying crystals um, to be able to focus her positive energy into something. I can really relate to Mary with the impulse to do that. Uh, there have been a couple of times that I've been waiting to hear back on whether something exciting would or wouldn't happen. And the way that I've channeled my energy is that I end up doing like a couple more good deeds than usual. Like... If I'm on hold for a commercial, um, it's down to me and a couple of other people, I, I know that I'll give my cat more attention than usual and give her more pets um, and hope that that positive energy does something. Or um, I remember one time after auditioning to be on a UCB Herald team, um, I saw a homeless woman on the street and I gave her $5. And I felt like in that moment, like this might be the thing that really clinches it for me. Um, I remember after not making it onto the Herald team that time around, I, I felt like somewhat gypped, like, what about those $5? I felt like I did the thing that it would have taken to make it onto the team. I think I do that and other people do similar kinds of things because it's hard to lack control, to have done the things you needed to do to get something, but then to be 
stuck in that waiting area where you can't do anything else and you just need to do something. But I think we have more control than we think in the form of what our attitude is like day to day. And I think Mary Holland is a great example. A great example of what a truly good attitude looks like. If you listen to her interview and just hear the energy she's brought to all the things that she's done out in LA since she moved, I think it gives something to aspire towards. I know that I at least ended my interview with her feeling inspired from the way that she looks at the world. So here it is, my interview with someone who I feel pretty sure will end up being a comedy legend, Mary Holland. Have you worked on Blunt Talk this week? Uh, not yet. I'm going in on Thursday. And how excited do you get for work on so the show? So excited. Oh, God. I can't, I can't wait to go in. Yeah. Because I, I, that's how I feel like I would feel. But in that, like, isn't it often early and stuff? It is. And that has been um, an adjustment, at least because our schedules are very... You know, doing the improv and sketch scene, it's very night-heavy. <laughs> yeah, like later than a normal human should be awake. Yes, yes. And I definitely had a hard time striking that balance early on because I just wasn't used to that, um, the shooting schedule yet. So I, I wasn't in the habit, or I wasn't even in the mindset of like, uh, okay, I have to get up at 5, so I should go to hmm. bed at 9 or 10 or something. And I would be like, I'll be fine. And I'd stay up till like 1230 or something and then be so exhausted the next day. Um, so, but I feel like I've, I kind of learned my lesson from that and have been taking better care of myself as it goes on. Um, but it is, I, I never like, I'm so excited to get up early and get like, it feels so exciting you know to to get to do that it's like if you're going on a vacation somewhere you're so excited to get up early and go catch your flight and like get the vacation started right away so that's what it feels like with with blunt talk that's so cool have you had any moment yet of like a thing that you would have found cool five years ago Mm -hmm. like now like feeling a little bit uh, n- numb to it, like a, a commercial or anything like that. You mean like a, a like booking? booking yeah, booking. Has have you gone to a job yet where you haven't been excited? No. That's good. <laughs> no, I haven't yet. I I feel very. It's it all still feels very surreal. Like even when, uh, if I do book a commercial or something, it feels like I'm getting away with something by <laughs> by doing it you know like uh it's hard to and I think that that's true of a lot of um I I remember hearing this graduation speech that Neil uh Guyman gave to 
Or Gaiman. Oh. I call him Gaiman. Gaiman. That, that, that could no, be wrong. Gaiman. No, I think you're right. Gaiman. Oh, cut that. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Neil Gaiman, um, he gave, I think, to the University of the Arts, but he, he gave this amazing speech. You should listen to it if you haven't yet. But because um, they're all young artists and all these varying artistic uh, disciplines. And his speech was like, when you first start making money or getting getting paid work to do something creative, it feels like you're getting away with something that at any moment someone's going to bang on your door and be like, nice, nice try, <laughs> you know. Um, and it really does feel like that. Like it, it almost, <laughs> uh, I remember like there'll be moments when I'm like, okay, I just, just please let me make it, let me make it through the day of shooting. Let me make it through the day of shooting because then, um, then it will be there. And then, and then they won't, they won't have time to recast me or anything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there hasn't really been a, a, a job yet where I haven't been so excited for or grateful for. Was was Blunt Talk the biggest one? Yes. And how, can you like run through your emotions when you found out it was happening? Yeah, it, it was kind of a, a really uh, long process. I first auditioned for it in August, I think, of last year. and 2014. 2014, that's right. And a few, I did the initial audition and then a few weeks went by and... You know, if that long a time passes, you kind of... Yeah, you let it go. Yeah, you're like, okay, I guess that's not happening. But then I got a call back, and I went in and, and did it again. And then um, a few weeks went by and didn't hear anything. And I got a second call back. And this was with the, um, the creator, Jonathan Ames, and uh, the producers. And... Um, and I did that and then didn't hear anything and then heard that I was, that they were going to use our tapes from that session for testing. So then that, the testing process was pretty long. It was like a, a couple weeks there where it was, it was, um, and it it's the most nerve wracking thing. It was, I was really grateful actually that we didn't, uh, have to go in in person to test because I know that that can be yeah very nerve-wracking. But you were just like sitting behind in your house yeah. knowing this stuff was happening. Yeah, and I bought crystals <laughs> because I was so... I would, oh my God. I would like... <laughs> I would go through these phases of like, you know, whatever happens, happens. And like just kind of letting it go and not focusing on it to, to then I would... That's all I would think about and I would just be kind of stewing about it um and being nervous and anxious and worried and and because it it was like I felt right away especially once I was in the room with with Jonathan and Stephanie and um all the creators uh I I felt right away that oh this is right this I know like you always want a job obviously yeah (laughs) but but it it really is um, uh, a special thing when when you could be like, oh, I know I do this well. I know that <laughs> this is yeah. right for me. I feel like this is so right. All of this feels good. And um, 
so there, so there was that element that was added onto it where I would be thinking in my head, it's fine. If it doesn't happen, it's fine. But oh my God, I, I think this is the right job. And what if it doesn't happen, but it is the right job. And you know, like you can kind of go in. And then I start living an alternate reality. Yeah. That's not, that wasn't meant for me. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, and, and I bought crystals mostly just to, um, have somewhere to put all that manic energy that I was feeling. Yeah, like, do you do that kind of superstitious stuff generally? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that I'm... I'm definitely open to it, but I'm not... Or, I don't know, I wouldn't call it superstitious. There might be real <laughs> yeah, power I'm to crystals. Yeah, I'm pretty insulted that you would call it that. Uh, <laughs> you know, the new age type stuff. Yes. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I'm a passionate... That I, like put all my stock in that stuff, but I, I do have an open mind about it. And I think I, I do believe that there is that the power of intention. And like, if you, like, I felt that when I first started, I'm sorry, I'm going on so many tangents, but when I first started doing UCB, it was like, instead of focusing on the result of, of like, I want to be working, I want to be doing this. I instead tried to shift my focus to, okay, what do I love? And the more I focus on what I love, the more what I love will come to me. So I do believe in that kind of thinking where it's like, if you put that good energy out there and you focus on always, you know, working towards what makes you happy and not what you think you should be doing, then what makes you happy will continue to come to you. So, so yeah, I guess that's a roundabout saying, way of saying that I, I do, I do believe in that stuff. And I, I definitely, I, you know, it's so interesting, Ben, when I bought those crystals <laughs> and I would hold them, I did feel like, I don't know if it was something in my mind that was giving me this impression, but, uh, whenever I would hold it, I, I would feel a sense of like, it's all going to be okay. It's all, you know whatever is meant to be will be in that kind of um uh that radiance and calm that comes from like just whatever happens will happen that's so cool yeah so anyway i bought those crystals and hold, held on to those day and night and then uh, a week or so went by i didn't hear anything and um then finally i i did hear and i didn't get it and I was so sad. I mean, you don't get jobs every day. You know, it's not like rejection is uh, foreign to me at all. But, um, but with that job, like I said, it felt right. And it felt like oh, that this could be my home. This feels like a great role for me. Great, you know, uh, environment. And so I was devastated because of that, because it felt like oh, that was what was right for me. And now do I not know what's right for me? You know? like, <laughs> yeah. oh, and, my, and I started questioning, like, maybe I don't know what I'm good for. Or, or um, Anyway, so I tried to let that go. And, and um, they were so, you know, through my agents and stuff, I heard great feedback and you know and they were very kind about um about 
you know, like we loved her and all this stuff. So that, that was really nice to hear. But your heart was still broken. Yes. My heart was still broken. And, but then I, I like got in a state of mind after a few days of, of kind of letting myself be bummed about it. I got in a state of mind of, okay, well next thing, you know, let's move on. Let's, and I refocused on everything that was going on in my life at the time. And, um, and then out of the blue, a few weeks later, I got a call from my agent and they said, there's a role for you and they're, they're <laughs> offering it to you. Um, and I was so, I, it, and it was interesting Ben being in a state of mind of being so nervous and hyped up about something and then having to let that go. And then that coming back to you, it, the acceptance of it when I was in that state of mind was so different than it would have been in the other state of mind, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, because I, I, I was much calmer about, obviously still just as excited, but I was like, oh, okay, oh, <laughs> oh, wow, because I didn't ex- see it coming. And, yeah, and you'd, so, com- you'd just been bracing yourself yeah, for being okay with this. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so that so that was really interesting. And then, um, and then, so I found out about that in October, and then we didn't start rehearsals or anything until January, so it still didn't feel real until I like went to the studio and, and met everybody and, and like we did a read through and then it started feeling oh my god this is really happening yeah. <laughs> yeah it feels like you were just in this experience just tossed around a lot like a little kid told that they're going to Disneyland yeah <clears throat> and then they're not going to Disneyland yeah and then you're told oh you are going to Disneyland yeah exactly <laughs> uh, but I think what that gave me was some much needed perspective on the whole situation and some and some much needed grounding about everything like um uh i think it yeah what no what did you learn like oh what did i learn i was when i found out i was testing and heard you know great feedback I was so excited and I was in the state of mind of, and I'm going to call my mom and dad first and I'm going to, you know, like already planning and then all my life is going to change it. Like, what's it going to be like the shooting schedule, all this stuff. Um, And then when I had to let that go and then it came back, I feel like I had grown up a bit, even in that time frame of a few weeks where it was like you never know what is going to happen with it and I think I was then and in a good way much more cautious about my emotional state when I found out I got it so yeah. I wasn't allowing myself to kind of get swept up in the euphoria of it. and obviously I was still euphoric <laughs> about that news but I kept, I, I think I was a little more grounded as far as, okay, yes, I, I have this now, but who knows? We'll see, you know, maybe they're, they'll change their mind or maybe I just didn't allow myself to get to the fantasy place. And I think that's what was grounding me a bit when I heard it the second time. Wow. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, where were you born? Were you 
Yeah, where, where were you born? Uh, <laughs> I was born in Galax, Virginia, which is southwestern Virginia, right in the Blue Ridge Mountains, uh, close to the border of North Carolina. Like, we were 30 minutes away from Winston-Salem, Mount Airy, that area. So we were like... Um, I wish I, after living in North Carolina for four years, I wish I'd looked at a map. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't really tell you which ones are at the top and which ones are at the bottom. UNC yeah, I know that Winston-Salem isn't that far from Raleigh. Yes. Um, yeah. I, do you know you know Virginia Tech? Yeah. So that's in Blacksburg, Virginia, and that's maybe an hour and a half outside Galax. Cool. So anyway, it's that whole... And it's in the Blue Ridge Mountains, yes. which extend down into North Carolina. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I was born and raised there and grew up there, and that, that, that was a very small, small town. What kind of town was it? Oh, it was, it was, uh, it was like <laughs> very southern, very but very mountain e. Like Galax is the world's capital of old timey mountain music. Really? So, so yeah. So like. <laughs> like jug bands. Yeah, and and you know, old brother were that mm -hmm. that type of real timey dueling banjos bluegrass yeah <laughs> and such yeah and every year there's a fiddler's convention which is the the social event of the year for for galax everybody goes down to the to felts park where there's um and you can camp out there and there's a big stage where they have like all kinds of bands and musicians from um all over the region and the world come and play but it's all in that style. I and mean, they have like banjo competitions and fiddlers competitions, you know. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool place and it's kind of a mecca for that kind of music, which I didn't fully appreciate until after I had left, but. It was around you growing up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like just in the community. And Galax was really small. I think when I, I think it's grown since, um, since, my family moved away when I was about 17, but at the time when I grew up, it was maybe 2,000 people. It was real small and um, and very, there were parts of it that were very hillbilly, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Can you give an example of it being hillbilly? Right. I, the one that comes to mind, and this is probably a very minuscule wait to give you an example of how hillbilly it was but i remember well first of all i went from preschool up to the graduate my high school graduation with the same like 40 people wow yeah there it was such a small town but i remember in kindergarten maybe there was a girl in my class named linda <laughs> and we were learning our abcs or something and i forget what the context was context was but she said just look up at that train up yonder <laughs> and that was the first time as a child hearing that phrase up yonder and that has stuck with me ever since it's like yep this is the galax you know type like, what, did, what did she mean by that she like meant having up, to do up the there. abcs uh, <laughs> because all our abcs were like oh along the 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 wall, you know, up like, at the top. Like, what does T stand for? Just look up at that yeah, I can't, train. Yeah, I can't remember. I just remember saying, look at that train up yonder. Oh <laughs> and that's always yeah. in caps. But then, but just, 
just the Galax Fillers Convention, I think, probably is the biggest example of that, where all these people who lived in the mountain, mountain parts of Galax, you know, the back roads, the backwoods, would come out and play their music, and it was really such an experience. And so um, it just captured the, the, the soul, the personality of that area, which is so yeah. rich with history and, um, and just that kind of Southern Appalachian identity, you know? Uh, what a neat place to grow up. Yeah, yeah. What were your parents like? Uh, my parents are wonderful. Um, they, they were both doctors at the local hospital, which served Galax and the surrounding counties. It was a big, um, fairly big hospital, but it was uh, like there were no other local hospitals in counties that were maybe 20, 30 minutes outside of Galax. Like that was where people got helicoptered to and, you know, yeah. all that stuff. And both my parents were radiologists there. Yeah. Uh, and how did they meet? They met in medical school. My dad was a few years older than my mom, and he... My mom's cousin went on a date with my dad and said, uh, and I don't think she was, she wasn't in medical school, but she just happened to go on a date with my dad and said, oh, my cousin's going to start at um, MCV, Medical College of Virginia. You should, you should meet her. Her name's Ann Holland and she, uh, not Ann Holland, her name wasn't Holland at the time. Uh, her name's Nan and you should you should look her up. So my dad did. He looked her up and uh, sold her his books from that because she was a freshman or something when he was a junior. So he sold her his freshman books and they started courting each other. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, and that's how they met and they started dating and then did their residency together, and then when two positions opened up, they originally, they did their residency together in Charleston, South Carolina, and then uh, a friend of theirs had two radiology positions open up in Galax, and they decided to move. Where, where were they born themselves? My mother was born not far from Galax, uh, in a tiny, sleepy little town called Bedford, Virginia, and my dad was born in Georgia, and but he grew up most of his life in in florida and went to florida state university and then went to medical school in, in virginia so you're real southern people yeah yeah we're southern stock for sure <laughs> um yeah it's interesting my grandma <laughs> my my mom's mother grandma we call her or butter that's also a name we call her butter that's a great name that's a great name yeah <laughs> Uh, she, I always thought this was weird growing up, but now I, I realize that it's just like part of her generation and in that region, she pronounces school, school, and <laughs> pool, poo, and you know, I always thought that, I was like, why does she say it like that? But now I realize it's like, uh, What is Butter doing? <laughs> what is Butter doing? She's insane. Um, she's so funny. Um, yeah. And my grandfather, my, my mom's dad was a doctor as well. So I come from a long line of physicians. <laughs> when you were a kid, would people say like, Mary, are you going to be a doctor? 
No, not that I remember. I've made it clear very early on that I only had the intention of being an actress. Really? From <laughs> yeah. from when? From, um, man, I think I, as soon as I knew that that was a thing that you could do, it, it was, that was like my <laughs> thing. And there was no strain from it. I think when I was eight, I thought, oh, maybe I'll be a lawyer, but it was for the same reasons that I wanted to be an actor, which was like, I wanted to get immersed in the drama of a courtroom. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I right. think it was right away. I, I, I don't remember ever having a moment of like realizing that's what I wanted to do. I, I only remember always knowing that's what I wanted to do. So, um, so yeah, and I had a very active imagination as a child. Yeah, can you speak to it? Like, what kind I of games did you play? I can speak to that. Oh, God. I played a lot of games by myself. I like to play by myself. I remember listening to Madeline's podcast, and she mentioned that as well. Um, I, I played a lot by myself. I, I talked to myself a lot, and I would... And this is weird. I would... It re, I would, like, act out situations... But by myself, so I would like be bouncing the basketball in our backyard and be like kind of loosely playing basketball. But out loud, I'd be, I'd be, <laughs> this is embarrassing. I'd be like, Janine, why did you do that? <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're my best friend. Like, so, and I don't remember like actually having an imaginary friend. I would just enact both sides of a conversation with. <laughs> Uh, Janine, I remember as being one name I used a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and was that somewhat more satisfying to you than playing with other kids then? Or um, you like both? Oh, that's a good question. I think it kind of depended on the kids I was playing with. If the kids I was playing with, and for the most part, my best friends were down for this. If they were into playing ninjas or, you know... Acting out some kind of situation, like not just playing like playing games with sticks, but you got to be up for long form improv. Exactly, <laughs> it's yeah. I, looking back, I think that's exactly what I was trying to do. Was like, okay, so you're you're the boss, and I'm the I'm your secretary, and I'm gonna come in like uh, that was the kind of play I was interested in. And for the most part, I think I had friends who were down for that and, and would do that with me, but. Um, if I couldn't find that, then I would just settle for playing with myself because that, that, that was the kind of um, play that I liked. I remember um, going off, like, when I just disagreed with the kind of imagination games my friends were playing. And they weren't, like, <laughs> oh, if, yeah. if people on the playground were doing, like, a... This is just for me personally. Yes. We're doing, like, a Russian spy game. I remember Ooh. that specifically. I was like, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> this is all well and good. But I'm going to go off and play my alien game. Right. <laughs> By myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Boy. man. I, I don't remember if... I think there were definitely disagreements I would have within the logic of whatever reality we were playing. Like, the ninja would never do that. You know, like that kind of thing. <laughs> but I think as long as it was pretend, I was always down. Cool. You know? Um, yeah. Um... What else would you say about what you were like as a little girl? Are there any, like, stories that get told a lot about, like, 
um, like this speak to the kind of kid you were? Yeah. I had a very, there are a couple stories that stick out to me. I had a very vivid imagination. Um, my mom had this CD called <laughs> Sounds of Eagle Mountain. And it was all um, Native American music and instruments and chanting and stuff. And I used to, we had one CD player in the house and it was in the kitchen and we had speakers there. And I would put the CD in and I'd press play and I'd go around to where our front door was. We had a little entryway that was lit really beautifully when the lights were on outside and there were no lights on inside. And the light kind of streamed in through the windows. And I would, for hours, like dance to that music and like pretend like I was Native American. Like I was obsessed with, with Native American culture and stuff as a kid. Um, I would, whenever we would go see a movie, I would go home with my family and immediately try to reenact it. <laughs> no matter what movie we saw, I would in some way on some scale try to reenact it. Um, I was really big into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and I, you know, Ninja was my, my favorite thing. I, you know, pretend like I was being a ninja. Uh, and then there's another story. I was also very, very easily entertained and easily excitable. Uh, once after a Christmas parade in Galax, my family and another family went to Burger King and I was sitting with um, Kelly, the, a girl from another family, and she, she was a couple years older than me. And we were sitting there and she turned to me and she said, I just burped. And I laughed so hard, I completely <laughs> peed myself. <laughs> like, it wasn't just pee my pants a little bit. I created a puddle on the floor of Burger King. <laughs> so, based off of that joke. <laughs> based off that joke, I just burped. God, it killed me. Um, so I, I was easily entertained and easily, like made to laugh I think amazing um and yeah so I so that's I wasn't very concerned with school as a kid I was mostly concerned with being funny and playing and um as a result my mom <laughs> my mom told me recently like we were really worried. You were really bad at phonics. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Because I didn't... I, I wasn't... I wasn't really... I didn't think about learning Yeah, would you not stuff. do your homework? Or? I wouldn't do my homework, really. I wouldn't... I wouldn't... I, I mean, I, I would do it, but I wasn't into and it. you got I mediocre grades? I got mediocre through, grades. All through high school, too? All through... No, all through elementary school and part of middle school. Got and it. then I kind of, I completely shifted when I became a um, sophomore in high school. I totally shifted everything. Um, but I think from preschool until like ninth grade, my main focus was how can I 
be the funniest person? How can I have the most fun? And how can I keep playing? And that that was all I like cared about, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, what do you think made making people laugh so important to you? I think that stems from my dad. My dad is a real, real goofball. And to give you uh, an example that kind of... <laughs> demonstrates this he has a collection of masks like really like a cone head mask uh, <laughs> uh like a bunch of scary masks a bunch of weird masks and he used to put them on and just kind of torment <laughs> us as children <laughs> okay um and he was he's a he was so funny he would scare me a lot because I think because he thought it was funny, but also because I got such joy out of it. Uh, there's one quick story I'll tell you, and this I think also um, kind of shows how I was as a kid. When I would go to bed, we'd get tucked in, and my dad would do this thing where, because our doors were always open, my dad would do this thing where he would slowly walk around the corner like a zombie and like, just really slowly walk into my room and I'd be squealing and like, uh, no, daddy, no. And then when he got close enough, he'd run at me really fast uh, and I'd scream and scream. <laughs> and, then, and then I'd be like, do it again, do it again. Uh, uh, and he'd do it to my sister and she was like, stop, dad. It was like she didn't, wasn't that affected by it. But I was very affected by it. And so I, I think I, I played with my dad a lot as a kid. And so I think that I came to revere him as like, oh, he knows what's fun. He knows like what the fun thing is. And he would watch Animal House and Wayne's World. And I remember being exposed to those kids when I was at those movies when I was really young. And uh, I didn't get them, but I would watch them over and over and over again. And this, so that kind of humor kind of started to, soak in a bit yeah um but i think that watching the movies that like i would watch them with my dad and my dad would be laughing and so even though i didn't get what was funny about it i would connect in my head this is my dad is liking this this is funny i want i i like this <laughs> you know like i want to i want to make him laugh i want to do what this thing's doing to him um so yeah, I think that's where that that makes from. a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, any other thing growing up that you feel like set you apart from other kids? Yes, as a child, I was very very sexual. I <laughs> oh, this is so weird to talk about, but I discovered masturbation so early, like in preschool age. And I uh, just did it openly. I think they're <laughs> like in class, <laughs> like in preschool. Yeah, during nap time, I I would do that. Um, I I'm sure that's the thing that a lot of teachers have to deal with. I think it in, is actually without yeah. ruining the kids. Exactly, because you don't want to shame them. And I never. There were instances where I felt shamed. But I know it wasn't an intention on the part of whoever was doing the shaming. Um, but I had multiple boyfriends in elementary school. 
Uh, I had one boyfriend who was pretty consistent throughout elementary school named Stuart, and he proposed to me in third grade, <laughs> and I said yes. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. I promptly lost the ring, but uh, <laughs> I still have the ring, ring made box, of? I think. I don't really know. I, I don't know if it was a... It certainly, it couldn't have been a real diamond. <laughs> no, no I, I never thought for a second it was a real diamond. I thought maybe it was made of a pipe cleaner or maybe No, it was, no, it was... It, oh, it was it like a good like ring. It looked like a ring. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Stuart. I know, Stuart. Way to go. Um, but I was boy crazy. I was really into boys. I was very... very and I think... I think it's because I was, I read a book recently called Quiet, and it's about introverts, and I think I identify as an introvert for the reason of a, a lot of things, but mostly because um, introverts as children are very, are highly sensitive to things, and I was so sensitive. so. I think that I was, I think that this sexuality kind of plays into that where I was hyper aware of any stimuli mm -hmm. and, uh, and <laughs> masturbation was a stimuli I discovered and was like really sensitive to it as a child. So I thought about sex a lot. I like would, I remember watching a part of Pretty Woman where <laughs> that movie is like the sexuality and that's very like she goes down to a slip and that's it but I remember like getting like really excited by that um but I think that 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 hypersensitivity applied in a lot of ways I was very emotional I was really I would like throw huge tantrums I would love really hard like I would just shower my mother and my father with with like I love you so much you're the best you know uh I was just uh yeah I was just highly you sound like just like a crazy alive creature yeah I think that's I think like more by which I mean like more alive than other things right yeah I wasn't I didn't live in my head very much I lived in my emotions and then uh, and I, I could be sort of stimulated without much around me for, uh, for a while. That's a great disposition. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, well, I was going to say, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of that has carried over into adulthood. Um, but yeah, try like looking back as myself at myself as a child and trying to, kind of understand who that person was, I still very much feel like her. Um, but I think I now have an awareness of what was happening to me. Whereas at the time I was like, oh, this feels good. And this feels good. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. this feels bad. And, and just, you know, super vulnerable to that. Um, what turned you around in high school that made you in your sophomore year start working harder? Um, that's a great question. I suddenly got, oh, I'll tell you one story that really, I think, shifted everything for me. When I was 14, my mother and my, um, 
and her side of the family, her sisters and their husbands, and my brother and sister and I, we all took a family vacation to Italy. And this was my first time out of the country. They had gone in with each other to rent a villa in Tuscany for two weeks. And I can look back now and appreciate how incredible that experience was and how lucky I was to get to do that. But at the time I was like, cool, whatever, we're going somewhere. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I had just come off of my freshman year of high school where my chief concern was how can I be popular? How can I get people to like me? Not worried about grades, not worried about any of that stuff. I had made pretty bad grades. Um, not like failing, but I average B's and C's. And how were you on the popularity side? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't think I was that popular. I, I got along with different groups of people, but I was so concerned with being popular that I, um, I think I kind of sabotaged myself. Like <laughs> I think people could sense the desperation. <laughs> um, but so I was coming off my freshman year of high school where I was really focused on that stuff. And I was also coming off just having a big crush on a guy, and he, I can't remember how it came up. I think he said he wasn't interested, or he started dating a friend of mine, and I was devastated by it. And we were on this overnight flight from Charlotte, North Carolina to London, and then we were going to have a small layover in London and then fly to Italy. But on that overnight flight, First of all, I was so excited because there's a TV screen in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> so that was fun. And I made the vow to myself, I'm going to stay up all night. I'm going to watch movies. <laughs> and I did. And then we were, I kind of got sick of watching movies. And I put my earphones in and I just kind of played around with the radio that comes with the flight. And I tuned into the classical music station. And I, my mom loves classical music. And I heard it all the time growing up. And I like played piano and stuff, and but it was never like, I didn't get the love of it. I appreciated it, but I didn't. I was like, well, that's just classical music. But there was a moment we were flying over the Atlantic Ocean, and I was looking out. Everybody else on the plane was asleep, or so, so it seemed to me. And I was looking out. I could see the stars, and I was listening to this classical music, and all of a sudden I felt this pain in my heart that I, the, the sharpness of which I haven't really felt since. And I, I think in that moment, I consider that the moment where I, I locked into a part of my personality that I hadn't up until that point. And I started sobbing and sobbing, and the music was really moving me. And I was thinking about this heartbreak from this guy, and I was thinking about all, like, how I was so concerned with popularity and how, like, frustrating and hard that was. And all of this stuff just started pouring out of me. And over the whole trip in Italy, I, I could feel myself just the way I looked at things changed. Like, I, I I, don't know what word to use to describe it, but I I just kind of 
realize something about myself where I, this thing was what was important to me. This feeling of, of like loving things and being a part of things and, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it, like experiencing the world. And I think I, I realized at that time, oh, I can't just fuck around in school if this is what I want my yeah. life to be. So I buckled down and it was my mission for my last three years of high school to get straight A's. And uh, I did. And I, I also, like in my sophomore year, applied for Interlochen, which is a, a fine arts boarding school in Michigan um, that I ended up going to for my last two years of high school. And I credit that moment on the plane where I something in me just kind of shifted or unlocked uh, with me having the courage to seriously try to pursue this dream yeah yeah that's pretty amazing yeah <laughs> it, i'm yeah. trying to um like put it into words like mm -hmm. it, it feels like you went like i want more of this amazing stuff like yeah. i want my life to be yeah i think it i think it was that but i know i understand it's more it's more of a feeling and right that's pretty amazing yeah it's hard to kind of explain logically, but that was that, that shift that happened. And then in my sophomore year, I stopped doing sports. I poured myself into doing theater stuff and, and applied for Interlochen, didn't get in, got waitlisted, and then got in off the waitlist. And then, yeah, my junior and senior year, I moved away from Galax to go there. Um, and away from your parents? Away from my parents, yeah. And what kind of theater were you doing at Interlochen? Um, it sort of ran the gamut. They did musicals, which I didn't really do because I can't. Uh, they had very serious musical theater actors there, mm -hmm. singers, dancers, you know, and I, I wasn't on par with them. But we did a lot of, like, Shakespeare. We would do some comedies. Um, it's very much like college where you have a major at Interlochen. Like, I was a theater major. There's creative writing, there's visual arts, there's dance. And you, the first part of your day, you do your academic studies, and then the second half of your day is all whatever your major is. So rehearsals, cla acting classes, movement classes, that kind of thing. And you were loving it. Oh, God, I was loving it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, loving it so much. And where did you go from there? So I graduated from Interlochen, and then I applied to a bunch of... I knew I wanted to go to acting school, so I applied to a bunch of acting programs around the country. Like conservatories? Mm-hmm. And the program I got into was Northern Illinois University. I got, I got into the BFA acting program, which was a conservatory training program at a, at a university. So... Uh, it was kind of a hybrid of, like, your normal college experience and the conservatory yeah training so kind of like interlocking yeah exactly yeah but grown up but grown up yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i went there and uh and then when i graduated from niu i moved out here um niu that's what it's called mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> did you have a blast in college i did i did i you was... sound like there's a <laughs> asterisk well i just i didn't 
I wasn't, I didn't drink at all in college. So there were, I think there was an element to the party scene that I kind of missed out on. I would go to parties, but I wouldn't stay very long. And I didn't, I didn't like have that experience of getting drunk in college. I never had that. Um, and so I think there was a part of that experience that I missed out on, but I loved the teachers there. I loved the, my classmates and I, I worked really hard. We all did. It was a very demanding program, uh, emotionally and, and just, um, time management wise. Like it was very rigorous and, and demanding. And so I, I look back on college and I'm like, oh, I worked really hard, uh, which is great, but I didn't, I did very little typical college stuff. It sounds like you, you say like, I should have drunk a little bit more. I should have drunk a little <laughs> bit more. I went to one football game the whole time I was there and I, I love football. Um, it just wasn't, the, the demands on our schedule were such that we weren't really allowed too much time also to socialize with other groups of people. Yeah. Like the theater department was very insular. We all hung out with each other all the time. We partied with each other. We saw each other constantly for, and we would have four hour rehearsals every night. So, um, so yeah, it wasn't like when I hear about other people's college experience, uh, it sounded like we really were immersed more in the conservatory part of it than like any of the college part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Were you doing improv or comedy? No, we did drama pretty much through and through. So was making people laugh still as important to you? It was. It was and I and I would like look to do that in small ways however I could. And every now and then we would get a scene in acting class or something where it would be comedy focused. But I think and this has been an influence uh I'm learning later in my life we we really tried to hone in on finding the the comedic moments in dramas so we we were urged never to like go for laughs or anything uh not that you would in a drama anyway but to to understand that a lot of humor and uh, joy can come from just seeing people go through real things. Yeah. So it, it's so cool to see what a good dramatic actor you are. Like oh, thanks, even man. in just like in some new money sketches, like oh, shark, you. like Tim Neenan's shark funeral sketch <laughs> where your son's yeah. been eaten by a shark. Yeah. Um, it gets like, it's so good because you're so like in it. Like you seem like really upset on stage and like, you're just, yeah. Oh, uh, thank you. That's you being nice a good actor you. really helps. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I, I think that, that that is the kind of of humor, I think, that I'm drawn to the most, where it's it's all just coming from truly being a person in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love the, the broad and, and um, silly stuff, too, obviously. But, but I think that's where that stems from, is like being so focused on the drama in in college and, and in high school. 
Um, uh, so yeah, but I didn't do any improv in college. There was one guy who was a master's student who tried to get an improv night going, and we like got together a couple times, but he had an idea of what we were doing, but none of the rest of us did while uh -huh. we were all just being silly. So I didn't know what long form was. I didn't understand that difference between long form and short form. I didn't really get it until the summer between my junior and senior year, I did the intensive at IO in Chicago. And then that's when I really fell in love with, with improv. Um, you met CC Pierce right then, right? Yes, I met CC Pierce <laughs> and Kyle. Kyle Chorpany. Ah, uh, awesome. Yeah. We, yeah, we were in the same class. That's so cool. Yeah. And then they were like, brought that back to, like, that's like their report of that class, like, had so much to do with, like, my first learning about improv. Really? It was just them, like, reporting things that had happened in that class. Oh, my God. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really fun class. Uh, I love that. Like, you guys crossed over around then. Um, yeah. So... You got to do that I.O. class, and then you moved out to L.A. Why? To be an actress? I moved out to L.A. to be an actress. We did a, you know, you did a showcase in Chicago and New York and L.A., and uh, the head acting teacher at NIU at the time had a good friend out here who was a successful agent, and he came to the showcase, and I met with him the next day and uh found out he wanted to sign me and he wanted me to move out, so I did. Amazing. Yeah. So you moved out here with an agent. I did, yes. Um, yes, I did. And I was with him for three years and then, and I went out uh, quite a bit, especially initially, and then, but there would be like six or, six to eight month gaps where I wouldn't audition for anything. I never even got close to booking anything. Wow. And uh, and not that I moved out here and expected to like walk onto a set. Yeah. Uh, but no, you, you did get an agent very fast. So that's, yeah, I, I think I had very high hopes of starting work at least hopefully right away. And, um, I didn't. And that was like, now I can look at that and be like, well, yeah, of course not. But at the time, I was like, there's something wrong with me. I'm, I'm not good enough. And I was in an acting class with really beautiful people who were doing series regulars on CSI and, like, <laughs> just very much not where I belonged, really. And I felt very alone. You, lo you belong with beautiful people. Oh, thanks, <laughs> uh, What do you mean? <laughs> I didn't... I, not these... Not these level. CSI, not CSI <laughs> Not people. CSI beautiful. Um, no, they were on a whole different level, and I was, I was very... Um, I don't know, I just... Yeah. I wouldn't say a whole other level either. It sounds like you just, like, what do you think brought, like, made the difference? And, because uh, now you are booking right. things that are cooler than CSI. <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, I, I credit... The UCB experience and community with all of that. So like, you, so what brought you there? I lived and how across soon did the you start? street from there. I started, so I moved to LA July 2007. I started taking classes in October. So it was a couple months after cool. I moved. Um, but I lived across the street from the theater, so I... In the Scientology Center? <laughs> no. Uh, on that little side street 
in one of the apartment buildings that's like cool adjacent to the psychology <laughs> side. Um, but yeah, so I, I would I started taking classes and then and then I was trying to do both. I was trying to take UCB classes and do those acting classes. But after a while, I stopped going to the acting class because it felt, it just didn't feel like the right fit. Um, everybody was so kind and very nice there. It wasn't that I was being treated badly. It was just, I was like, I don't know that this is the right place. And then when I started finding friends and classes and stuff at UCB, I really just jumped in full yeah. fully, you know. Did it were you able to wrap your mind around like the world of improv very naturally? Um no, I th- I mean, yes, because I came from a background of wanting to play pretend all the time. But I definitely didn't grasp game, I don't think, until fairly recently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, past you were already teaching classes. Yes, to exactly. People. Yeah, it's only when I started teaching my third class that I really understand <laughs> what game is. Um, I, no, it just it takes like time to click in. It does, yeah. And event- and it did eventually, but I think up until it did, I was really jiving off of getting to play. And then also finding people who I felt like were of similar um, interests and in, in, uh, passions as, as me. And then, and then I stopped going to acting classes and I dropped that agent. And I, which was scary because I was like, oh, if I don't have him, I don't have anything. Um, but I just... This is where that logic of just keep doing what you love and, and what you love will come to you. I just really poured myself into doing practice groups and taking classes and and just playing as much as I could and not trying not to care so much about where it was leading or if I was ever going to get any acting work. And then yeah. eventually, you know, I got on John Velvet and that was so exciting. And then I got a new money, and that was so exciting. And and I, like, it started kind of building from there where it was like, oh, all these things I'm, I want to do and I'm happy and excited to do are now coming to me because that was what I was, I just let myself kind of focus on that for a while, um, just doing what you love, you know? Um, had you up to that happening, like, had moments of... I understand that you're saying that you were more about doing the things that made you happy, mm-hmm. but was there nervousness about like, yeah. uh, yeah. maybe not being able to make a living out here? Oh yeah. And there was a lot of anxiety about it. Um, what did that look like? Well, I worked a lot of odd jobs and I didn't work them, any of them for very long. I was a hostess for like a year and a half and I quit that and became a daytime bartender at that restaurant and then quit that and then became a hostess again and quit that and then was a dog walker for like a year and a half, which I was uh, excited about doing initially because it was super flexible. I would exercise, you know, it was a fun job. But then (laughs) I remember I was on the phone with a friend. Uh, I was... (laughs) I was with this 
little terrier who was too young to go out for walks out on the street. So he would have to go on this astroturf they had out on their patio. <laughs> and he, I was like letting him do his business. I was talking to a friend on the phone and she was telling me that she just booked a national commercial. And at that moment, the terrier started yelping and it was because his poop wouldn't come out. Oh. And so I like put my hand in a plastic bag and I like, like grab the poop and pulled it out. That's the thing you have to do. As <laughs> or were you just following your intuition? I was just doing it because he seemed to be in pain and and, and was like, I gotta get this poop. Poor out guy. Of him. <laughs> yeah. And so as I was pulling poop from a dog's butthole, I was like, Oh God, people are out there like <laughs> doing this job that I really want to be doing, and and this is what I'm. My day is is like <laughs> yeah, you know. And you have a gen. Did you have a good attitude about all these jobs while you were doing them? You seem like you have yeah. such a generally good attitude all the time. Yeah, but I, those I things tried. seem like a hard, hard to keep that up. I had a lot of attitude in the restaurant. A lot of good attitude. No, bad, a lot of bad attitude. Bad attitude, I, and maybe if I didn't show it, I definitely felt it when I left work. Like I, I was angry all the time. I, I really hated that job. Um... What did you hate about it? Oh, I, I, you just get treated really badly. And I worked in Beverly Hills where there's a lot of entitled types that come in and just kind of, you're just brushed off a lot. Yeah. And there's a amount of that that you can be like, oh, that's my job, whatever. But it really does start to hurt at a certain point. Um, and like, you don't matter and you don't, you're not going to be anything more than this and that started to break break my heart a bit. Um, with dog walking, I love dogs, still do. I love them. So I was, I had a pretty good attitude about that job. But It's just that every now and then you'd have to pull a piece of poop out of a dog while yes. somebody would talk, talk to you about their national commercial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, I just, um, I, I think that that was kind of the, the rock bottom of that hopelessness of, oh my God, will I ever be able to do this? I, cause I couldn't imagine I, I didn't have an agent. I didn't, I didn't have anything. I was not auditioning at all. I didn't, I didn't even know where to begin to start doing that stuff. So it just felt very hopeless, but continuing to remind myself to like, just keep doing your practice. Like just keep doing what makes you happy and have fun with that. And, uh, eventually that did, I did get a manager and I did, you know, like a year and a half ago, get a great new agent. And it just started. I also think in a similar situation as the, the blunt talk, um, situation, I gained a, a groundedness and a maturity by having to, get like your heart broken a bit yeah absolutely <laughs> that also afforded me a, a a kind of confidence that i did not have before like the confidence of i don't know if this is gonna go anywhere <laughs> you know this is me i don't know what you want and that that i think made a big difference because before i was like please whatever you want i'll do it what, what do you want what do you want i'll be that <laughs> yeah and and having you do have to get your heart broken a bit you and feel then, like, yeah, yeah, you almost like came to the point where you were either going to do it on your own terms 
right. or, or fail still doing it on your own terms. Yeah, because I couldn't be that thing that I was trying to be for so long, which was the CSI series regular. <laughs> or the, you know, but that, yeah, I kept trying to fit myself into that mold and yeah. I just didn't fit. And so I, from that, I was like, oh, I don't belong here. I don't. I shouldn't be doing this. What were the first cool jobs you started booking, like, when you were on New Money and mm-hmm. JV? I, um, well, I, I think that the best best part of it was I started getting asked to do shows. Yeah. And getting asked to be in sketches or Like, how, how long did it take to ask, to get asked to do ASCAT? Oh, that... Because that seems huge. Yeah, that was huge. That, I think, was, like... Uh, a year and a half ago, roughly. Uh, though though anybody hearing it uh, who yes. doesn't know the UCB world, yes. um, that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Getting asked to ASCAT sounds yeah. like nothing. But no, but <laughs> ASCAT is like one of the most prestigious shows at, at UCB. Yes. So what? And that was a huge Yeah, so it was, it was how long into it? I, so I've been doing it for about eight years. and Improv. Improv, and that was a year. So, like six and a half years into it, that's wow. when I uh, first got asked How, to. Do and they that. found you from just seeing you in JV and yes. other indie shows. I think what had happened was Besser had come to watch Harold Knight one night uh, around that time, and then from that he he asked some people to come do Improv for Humans, and I did Improv for Humans. Drew Tarver and I both did that same up ep- and Betsy. Both did an episode, all three of us did an episode together. And then after that, then I got asked to do it as Cat. And then that kind of, you know, um, you just get added into the rotation. So, yeah, that was so exciting to, to get to do. But I, I think that that was the moment when I was like, oh, this is, now I'm feeling like I'm, I started getting a sense of, my own worth whereas before I was like I'm I'll never be I'll never be like on this level of these improvisers I'm seeing I'll never be working I I just kind of was in hope a hopeless state um but starting to get asked to like hey will you sit in with this show and will you do ASCAD and I made a point to say yes to everything I said yes to everything and I was happy to say yes to everything (laughs) um that to me was when it started feeling like, oh, this is, I'm doing it. I'm doing, I'm doing it. That's so cool. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> um, and then my first commercial, I booked that, that paid well was a Cascade commercial. And that was uh, really cool. And what was your first TV role that you got that you were proud of? Um... Silicon Valley was the awesome. first Which thing is, I ever got. Yeah, your episode is so great. Yeah, thanks. And was that was being on set for that like mind blowing? It was so exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Can you talk? Uh, can you talk about filming it? Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> I think I can talk about that. I. Yeah. It went well. Mike Judge was directing that episode, so I was pretty nervous and excited to meet him. I. They had cast off my tape, so I didn't... Was that... Is that usual? Like, don't don't people usually get, uh, 
Like, I, I think of, like, when you may put yourself on tape, usually you're sending it out into the abyss. Right. Uh, well, it was... that was different for this? Yes. It, I, was, it was in the casting office. Okay. But it oh, was oh, just with it. the casting directors. Cool. So I, but I think they showed the tape to the writers and producers, and, and then they, they cast it off that tape. So I didn't meet Mike or, or anybody in the room, uh, just the, the casting director. Um... So when I, I got it, I was pretty blown away because it it certainly wasn't a part that I was like, ooh, this is me. It right. was like, uh, I had a great time doing the side. The role and, is like Thomas Middleditch's uh, girl he has a big crush on. He, or, or he's she, the girl he thinks Yeah, they, is they like with dated him. once. Yeah, and the girl thinks that he's obsessed. Right. And right. my character thinks he's obsessed with her, which yeah. he's not. Um but yeah, being on set for that. And the other thing that kind of made that that transition pretty easy was I had very recently at that time met Zach Woods, who was working on that show. So there was a... And I knew Thomas and TJ from Chicago. So there was a familiarity that I was already walking into with that job. But I was so excited. I like... I worked three days on it and, and was over the moon. Uh, yeah, it was so, so fun. And I was pretty blown away that, like, you could do it. That people do do this for a living. Like, people <laughs> yeah. do get jobs. And, and it felt suddenly a little more attainable than it had previously. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. How And how soon after that was, was that close in proximity to... You getting on Blunt Talk? No, that was about a year... Before. Before, yeah. Because that was in December of 2013. And then I found out about Blunt Talk in October of 2014. Were there any other big things in between those things? Um, I did a... Uh, uh, I did a... Yeah, I got... I started getting asked to do bits on Comedy Bang Bang. Awesome. Which was really cool. And Birthday Boys, which uh, was so exciting. And then Parks and Rec... Um, I got to do a small part on that. So there were like small parts coming up here and there in between those two. But Blunt Talk is, you know, my first time having a job that was more than one episode. So it was exciting. Uh, Along that way, like how much after improvising for so many years, Mm -hmm. like do you still get into moments where you go like, oh, I got to fix this kind of thing about the way I improvise or, Mm. or do you feel like you're in a pretty good groove generally? I would say that comes and goes like there will be a period of a few weeks where I'm like, I know what I'm doing. This feels (laughs) great. And I'm, I'm like, I, I understand conceptually what this is, and then I also am able to some extent to implement it. Mm-hmm. And then there will be, like, I kind of feel like I'm in a, a funk now where it's like, oh, I don't really know that I'm, I'm kind of falling into some old bad habits. And, mm-hmm. But I think that when you kind of hit those improv slumps, it's an indicator of, oh, you're growing in some way. So it's, it sucks when you're in them, but it's always good to have them. I think, I think if I were, I would, I would be concerned. I think if I, it always felt like a breeze or it always felt like, well, now I get it. (laughs) It never 
fully feels like that. It always feels like there's more to learn and get better at. Um, so, so now that Blunt Talk has happened, yeah. um, and you're on that show, uh, how much of the time do you feel like you have, like you've just made it? And how much of the time do you feel like still a feeling like of nervousness, like that this might not be permanent? Uh... One thing I think that being aware of not totally knowing what my job security is, one thing that's been nice about that is that I've been constantly reminding myself to enjoy it and really relish the moments that I'm on set and and with this crew and this cast and the directors. And um, so that has been nice in those moments when I'm like I don't I hope I come back next season I don't know what what's gonna happen I am able to kind of or I'm try to make a point of shifting that like nervousness that like oh what's gonna happen into well whatever's gonna happen I'm gonna have fun right now and as far as the the job itself like doing scenes and um I was really nervous the first day of shooting for Blunt Talk uh, because, first of all, because they had been shooting for about a week up until that point, so I felt like I was kind of coming in on a bonds that were already starting to be made. Yeah. Um, but after that, those like first two or three days, it felt like home. Like it, it. Everybody is really cool in the. And I stopped being nervous about my performance so much. It felt so easy, you know? They encourage playing around. They encourage, like, you making things your own. And, and that, that, I think, really helped as far as the sort of feeling, like, ownership of the role and then also feeling comfortable with everybody, like... Yeah, having that sense of that. Because you said this was a show that you felt like you meant to, you were meant to be on. Yeah. And now you could just get to do that thing of being on it. Yeah, and it really feels like that. Like every day when when I go into work, it feels like ah oh, yeah, <laughs> this is where I belong. This there's nothing I'd rather be doing with my day than this. That's amazing. Yeah. So, where would you most hope to be five years from now? Um, like, what um, would you wish the landscape of your life to look like? And you don't have to hold mm-hmm. back. Okay. I would wish to still be working on Blunt Talk. I would wish to have that be my regular job. I would want to be performing at UCB regularly, at, you know, as often as I currently am, which I'm, I'm so grateful to get to do. Um, I would want UCB to be a a huge part of my life still. Uh, I would want to have Blunt Talk be my regular job. I would love to have, um, stability as far as a living situation, you know, have maybe hopefully have a house or, (laughs) uh, Something where I'm not always biting my nails about paying rent. <laughs> um, I 
think I think as long as I get to as I have a financial stability and still get to play and create and get you know make a living from acting then I'll be happy I you know uh, I've never asked that question to anybody on the show oh really and gotten no I ask it to everybody oh <laughs> Sorry, that seems like a good question to ask I've never I've never I've never asked anybody on the show that question and heard of five years from now that looks so much like you like you're today so that's a really cool thing. Oh, like You basically cool. just want to be in like a similar place. Yeah. Well, I, re- I remember I did a podcast a couple years ago where they asked, what does making it look like to you? And at the time, uh, I was on John Velvet and on New Money and was able to make a piece together a living from uh, Funny or Die videos and the occasional gig and... And that, to me, was like, oh my god, this is what making it feels like. Where if, as long as I'm able to be on these teams I love and be in a position where I'm able to constantly create um, and be a part of an ensemble, and in the meantime, have my work be what... I want to be doing like my dream job then I'm happy like I don't I there was a period of time especially when I first moved out here where my dream was I want to own a car I want to own a house I want to you know I want to like fly to exotic locations and shoot films and all of that would be nice but I've I started realizing that really all like what I think will bottom line make me happy is to keep creating and to keep being able to keep my head above water by doing what I love, you know? That's very, very cool. Yeah. And how, how long now have you been dating Matt Newell? Matt and I have been dating about four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is the presence of that relationship like in your life? Um, it's huge. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a is it a bad thing? I, it's really bad. No, uh, Matt is. Uh, I remember when I got my first job when I booked that Cascade commercial. I remember uh, he and I were living together at the time, and I came home to him, and I was like, "This is because of you." Oh. And I think a lot of what great things are are happening are due to the fact that he he has given me a uh a sense of uh, like being supported constantly and also having a reason to believe in myself a bit because he believes in me and there's great love there and I think that I've being buoyed by that has made me have courage to to you know go out for these big scary things and dare to hope that I would get them you know 
Uh, I'm really glad you have yeah, each other. Me too. Yeah, he's he's so important to me, um, and he also like because I met him going through UCB classes. We met in 201 and we're friends for years, and then started dating. And to me, like Matt is the most talented person I've ever, ever met or seen in my life. <laughs> I, I think he's, and I've told him this <laughs> and he's shrugged it off, but I do believe this. I'm not being hyperbolic. I believe him to be a genius and having that, like having that kind of love and admiration for somebody and then getting it sent back to you is so incredible. Like I, I don't, I don't think I would, uh, be half as, um, at peace with myself or with what I was doing if it wasn't for knowing that he was in my life, you know? Even if we weren't dating, I think, for, I remember when it was like, I don't know if I'll ever be with him, I don't know if this will ever happen. I, I, <laughs> I'd never had this thought before with somebody I was falling in love with, where I was like, even if it doesn't happen, as long as he's out there in the world, then I'll be happy, you know? And and, <laughs> and that was a crazy thought that I never had about anybody before. Like, I was like, it's enough to know that he is alive. Like, that's enough. Yeah. Just that a person like this exists? Yeah. That he specifically exists. Oh, wow, that's like the most romantic thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. It's... Very true. Um, <laughs> so I asked Jen D'Angelo this question too, mm -hmm. but any dreams for new monies last year on the planet? I, here's the thing about new money. I think that it was such an incredible act of destiny that the 12 of us were put together. I really think that that was magical because <laughs> the chemistry of that team is is incredible yeah it really is yeah I think as far as like what I would want well first of all I don't want this to be our last year and I guess it doesn't have to be yeah as a team as a team yes I would want us to continue to create things together um but I think I think one thing that we've done that I'm so proud of us for doing and I guess would be my wish for for this you know this year on mod would be to I think we've honed in on what our voice is and have really <laughs> made that clear to the world yeah <laughs> what our sense of humor is and what our comedic voice is so I think my dream for us this year would be to just let it go like really let it sing <laughs> all right will you please send a letter to the team saying that? yes <laughs> yes i will Thank uh you. yeah and it's tricky and it's this is a great thing too for our team that we have actors who are working a lot and writers who are working a lot and um and that 
that I think speaks to the the immense talent that's that is in that group of people. But I I would I think I would hope that and I we've done a good job of this so far as even though there are scheduling difficulties, like not letting that get in the way of what to me is a really magical collaboration. Yeah. Remember what we have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that I think would be and not that anybody is not remembering that currently. Would you like to single somebody out on the podcast? I would. I would love to say that Jessica McKenna <laughs> <laughs> is a dreamboat. Um no, I, I just think that we yeah, I just really want us to to let let our voice shine. <laughs> or let our let our you know, the spirit of our team shine. Yes, you know? please. Yes, please. Um Thank you so much for doing this. This was Thank so you. fun so much for, me. for having me. I had oh. a blast. No, oh, I had more fun. <laughs> Ask me about me. I'll tell you everything. <laughs> Get where I you're going. I masturbated when I was five years old. <laughs> you know, this is supposed to be you interviewing me. Holy um, shit. What? But, so you, you did serious? a bad job. I'm so sorry. But... Well, you kept asking me questions. I was nervous. Oh my God. I'm what? a monster. I'm but so sorry. Next, try again next time. I guess. Thanks, Mary. Thank you, Ben. Bye. Bye. There you go. That was my interview with the truly remarkable Mary Holland. If you want to see Mary perform sketch comedy, you can see her at UCB Sunset the second Wednesday of every month at 8.30 p.m. performing with our sketch group, New Money. And if you'd like to see her doing some improv, you can see her performing with JV every Friday at 11 at UCB Franklin. Again, it would make my day if you would consider rating On the Cusp on iTunes or reviewing us. Special thanks to the band Hi-Ho Silvero and Casey Trila for all the music in this episode, to my sound editor, Joe Burge, and to my producer, Cece Eichen has Domino's Pizza, Pierce. This has been On the Cusp. That's your outro music.